1: What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Green. I am a actor slash filmmaker. Uh, most notably known for my roles in Atlanta, the television series um, Queen of the South, and the uh, the powerful films Birth of a Nation and Loving. And you can catch me in the Conjuring um, sequel, Conjuring Three, that I'll be releasing hopefully later this year, uh, depending on what's going on, obviously with our current situation with COVID. And I'm also in the midst of creating, um, a couple of, uh, treatments or, or pilots that are going to be shopped out for some digital series that I've done in the past and people have interest in making them full series. So yeah, that's me.
0: Chris green. Welcome back to the make it podcast. Hey, Hey,
1: absolutely. Thank you guys for having me, man. I hope you're all doing well and under the circumstances, obviously.
0: Yeah, 100%. And um, we we did uh, bring you back for a special reason. Um, with everything that's going on um, with the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, uh, we spent three months inside, four months inside due to COVID. Um, I thought you would be the perfect guest to come on and chop it up with us about um, what this all means, where you expect it to go, and what you want the outcomes to be. So uh, I really appreciate you, you hopping on um, uh, the call and, and hopping on a conversation with, with uh, the Make It team. So, yeah, welcome back. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Of course, of course. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and in, in the first conversation we had, I'd sort of gotten a hint of, of this conversation um, this fire inside you, um, this, this activism, uh, inside you sort of towards the end of our conversation and and everyone sort of responded to that really, really well. And, um, at that point I really started paying attention really closely to your life outside of film. And, um, I'm curious when did, when did you decide to just be more,
1: uh, vocal politically? Um, well, I don't, honestly, I, I don't really consider myself political, like as far as like, you know, traditional politics, Democrat, independent, you know, Republican, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've never really, I mean, I follow it obviously to educate myself, but I'm, I don't get into those conversations because it's, it's like getting into relig- conversations about religion. Uh, you know, the, these, these politics and religion from, Honestly, their inceptions in this country have, or even you can as far as religion, obviously you can go even further back, have started wars. Like people have literally gone to war over religion, gone to war over politics. So you know, it, I don't understand why, <laughs> out of all the things we could be fighting over, you know what you know your beliefs are in regards to a higher power, or you know what side of the fence you stand on as far as how the country should be run. Uh, causes such a stink. But as far as me being outspoken, I, I think I, I, you know, I was one of these guys who, you know, I've always had to learn how to play the crowd. Um, everyone knows I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Will Smith as an actor and as a human being. And I think part of the reason why, as I got older, I mean, when I was younger, people would tell me, I, you know, they I kind of remind them of, of Will, like as far as my silliness and, the whole charm and the first friends thing. And then as I got older, it wasn't so much about looking like him or reminding them of him, but it was more of, man, you guys kind of had a similar trajectory, you know, will grew up in West Philly, which wasn't, you know, obviously the nicest of the neighborhoods. And then, you know, he essentially made it to, to Hollywood, which is a totally different element. You know, people don't realize Will was also highly intelligent. I mean, this man could have went to MIT. Right. And, um, you know, he, but he chose, he chose to do the rap thing because that's also something he was obviously skilled at. And with me, you know, it was, you know, i growing up in New York, you know, growing up in, in Mount Vernon, which wasn't so bad, but then moving to Yonkers, which, you know, in the, in late eighties, early nineties, you know, it was a lot of tension between blacks and, and Latinos. And then obviously you had the, you know uh, you know, whites coming in and it's not so much as blatant as it is now, but it was still low key subliminal racism. Um, and you know, my parents were split up, you know, obviously I didn't have any problems being with either one of them, but you know, where we grew, where I grew up in Yonkers wasn't necessarily like what people consider, you know, rough, quote unquote, I mean, no, there wasn't dope deals on the corner every, every weekend, but it was definitely stabbings and shootings and all that popping off because we were definitely in the projects. But, um, you know, I, I had to learn how to navigate that. My mom's got tired of it and, you know, it was like, yo, we're going to North Carolina where it's safer, safer, which in my opinion, in retrospect, I don't know how she thought that was safer because I went from, <laughs> yeah, you know, not getting stabbed and, and shot at to potentially getting lynched, but whatever. Uh, so, um, you know, she wanted to move there and having, first of all, to go from a neighborhood where it's predominantly myself, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, you know, Italians even to just straight up good old boy, hillbilly white boys, you know, in North Carolina, you know, and, and Bible thumpers, uh, you know, that was a big transition. Then it was, oh, you're that Yankee boy, you know, mm-hmm. coming from New York to the South. And then it was, you know, even the black people that I found myself gravitating towards them, not really, you know, why you talk like that? And, and, you know, why are you, why is everything sun and blah, blah, blah you know, so it was bridging, the cultural gap, it was bridging the racial gap and having to learn how to play that. And I remember Will Smith in an interview was saying he had to learn comedy-wise and his acting early on, you know, it was easier for him because he had to learn in life, the raps and the jokes he was telling in Philly weren't, weren't flying in LA, you know, weren't flying, you know, when he was doing Fresh Prince and around those people. And then when he would go back to Philly, those jokes he had to learn to tell in LA weren't flying in Philly. So he had to learn essentially how to be a chameleon, which is exactly what, you know, I had to do. And then going from a white high school in the country to now an HBCU, you know, I'm going to a historically black college university. Mm-hmm. I had to readjust myself again because, yo, you you know, you talk like a white dude and you, you know, you blah, blah. And it wasn't that I was talking like a white person, which this is something that, and I'll get, you know, this kind of leads into the speaking out. This is something that bothers me is that even though we deal with racism, at black people, we still have to deal with colorism within our community. And, you know, it's, I'll touch on a little bit later, but the fact that when a black person is articulate and educated and we can enunciate our words, that doesn't mean we're acting white. That's, that's, and, and people still say that black people still say that, which is sad because at the end of the day, Why is that the right way? You know, we talk. We want to talk about having our own identity and and being individuals, but yet you're comparing an educated brother to oh, you're being white. Why are they being white? Why are they being square because they know how to pronounce their words correctly because they're adding the G's on the end of words like that. That's to me that's that's ass backwards. You know, you want me to walk around my pants sagging, grabbing my nuts, you know, eating watermelon and drinking? It's like that's how they already see us. So why, why would you not want to hold up somebody that said, you know, I think Barack changed that too. When Barack got in office, I think a lot of that kind of stopped because it was like, Oh snap. Um, this dude, this brother's keeping his essence and he's still, you know, is cool around us, but he knows how to talk to them and then be intimidated by his intelligence. Like, Oh, we can be that way. Um, we can be like, you know Alfonso Ribeiro's character. We can't be like Carlton. You know somebody put up a meme. I loved it of of all the episodes where Carlton Carlton stood up for himself. Mm-hmm. And people was like, you know, we used to clown Carlton and call him a you know call him a, a Uncle Tom or whatever, blah, blah blah. But when you think back on it, like he was the realest brother out there. He never ratted on on his cousin, even when he knew Will did something wrong and he could have got trouble. He never outed him. He never compromised himself. He never he never shit on black people you know, to be more accepted as white, Carlton just liked to dance to Barry Manilow and he was educated, but he never disowned his blackness. And so that, you know, it's, I think it started to become more, more popular with the advent of that and blurs, blah, 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 But anyway, kind of got off track. So going to the HBCU, I started realizing how much I didn't know about my, my history about being black because it wasn't the white high school, obviously that I went to, Um, and then even the studies that I was getting at an HBCU, we still were very limited to the access that we were getting. And then once I started working on birth of a nation, and this is a shout out to, uh, you know, Nate Parker, you know, who's, who's got a bad stain on his, on his record, unfortunately, but you know, that's that's how they do. You do something impactful, they want to tear you down. Um and and you know, at the end of the day, whether you think he's guilty, or innocent, all oh, that's irrelevant. You know, you, you the point is you 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 don't sabotage the artwork. If you don't like the artist, they'll sabotage the artwork because at the end of the day that film was made for us and it was made as as close to real as possibly that he could get, you know that would allow him to make the film and people take a chance and being on it. And I learned so much more about our history during those times, you know, slave revolts and, and, and more about, I honestly, I heard Nat Turner's name maybe once the three and a half years I was at that HBCU once out of three and a half years. Uh, And I got on that set and I learned more in in a month than I ever did. in Three and a half years of going to a black, a black college about Nat Turner and the revolts and, and even the slave trade and how things really went down. So at that point, that's when I, I feel, honestly, to answer your question that I, I had to speak up because, you know, I don't have this major platform, you know, in, in, in comparison to other actors or celebrities. But the few people that do follow me and that do listen, you know, I want them to understand it's like just because you're pro-black doesn't mean you're anti-anything else. And, that's where the misconception is just like with women, you know, feminism, you know, it's like, because you're pro women does not mean you're anti-man. You have those extremists out there, just like you've those extremists that are for black people, but they don't speak for everybody. All we're basically doing is telling you to understand, you know, um, understand where we are coming from, understand, Hey, our history is getting scrolled from history books or it's being retold to where we weren't called slaves. We were volunteers. You know what I mean? Like you know, understand our history because we know every, you know, if I need to know everything about the Scots, uh, if I need to know everything about, uh, Italians, if I need to know everything about, you know, Europeans, if I need to know everything and anything about, you know, non or about people, uh, uh, non-people of color, excuse me, I can find it at the touch of a button and and it'd be facts on facts and accuracy. You're looking up stuff on us. you got to go dig to get the truth. Right. And, and it's like, if I have this information, pay it forward and educate not only my daughter, but everybody else. So it's just like, okay, don't have the wool pulled over your eyes like it was for me, because that's my only regret is I didn't really start learning about our history thoroughly until I was, you know, 24 years old. And I'm like, that's way too late. You know what I mean? I'm I was learning everything else about this country, but you know, and and I think that happened to a lot of people too. Honestly, man, I think it happened to a lot of us to where it's like, oh, that's really what went down, not what we learned. Oh, okay. Well, why would they keep that from us? And why would this, why would this happen like that? And why would they do that? You know. So, you know, for me, it's just a matter of of, of being honest. And then also, you just get tired, man. You get tired of you know, being, you know, being stereotyped, man, you know, it's, I've spent majority of, well, not majority, I should say about 50, 50. I spent half of my life in the North and half of my life in the South. And most of my adult life obviously has been in the South. And I can tell you, man, it it ain't ain't much changed. It really hasn't. You know, there's still people out here flying Confederate flags thinking, Oh, well, that's just a flag. It doesn't, you know, it's funny how we talk about symbolism real quick, you know, People mad over Kaepernick for disrespecting the flag because this flag represents this country and how dare he kneel and how dare you guys don't stand and pledge your allegiance to this flag, who, which by the way, like I said on Twitter and this exception did not include black people when the constitution was made and this flag was, was, you know, done up, you know, even back to the colonies, it's like, we, we weren't included. Black people weren't included in that. We weren't covered by the, by the liberties and the protection of that flag. We were still property. You know, so you want us to now stand up, even though our ancestors fought for this country and got no recognition, you still want us to stand up and acknowledge it. Yeah, okay, go play in traffic. You know, but this flag <laughs> represents, right, represents this country. So I find that funny, the double standard that some white people, not all, again, I don't want to speak, but at least we were seeing the vast majority of, you know, like you take somebody like a Drew Brees, this is a guy. Who sits there and talks about that, about that flag, but I wonder what his feelings are on the Confederate flag, because you're sitting here telling me that the American flag is a symbol for this country, but the Confederate flag is not. How are you gonna play that double standard? The Confederate flag, if you're gonna look at it as symbolism, then that Confederate flag stands for a time in this country where, you know, the South felt like black people, again, were not humans, you know, we were animals, and that you should use us to build and get wealthy off of and we get nothing. That's what that flag stands for. But then when you bring that up, see, y'all, uh, you guys are, are bringing up old history that's not even accurate anymore. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I'm bringing up old history because I don't want it to repeat itself. Which is exactly what's happening now. That's exactly what's happening now. History is repeating itself. Black people and people of color are are getting tired of of being you know, submissive. They're getting tired of being, you know, labeled as In their ignorant or violent, or you know, less than, and now they're standing up for themselves, just like they've done multiple times in the past. And you know, now white people or people or oppressors or people in power want to listen. You know, now they want to listen and go, okay, well, wait, wait, we're sorry. Now we want to listen. Uh, Now it's a little bit too late, unfortunately. You know, people have had enough, and I think. Witnessing, You know, again, I, I unfortunately saw the video and I didn't want to, but I, I saw it because I happened to be on a friend's timeline and, and it just was, you know, when you're scrolling on Instagram and stuff, please. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really focusing until, you know, I realized what I was watching. And, uh. You're talking about the George
0: it, it, Floyd video, correct?
1: George Floyd. Yeah. yeah. The killing. Yeah. And, and what to me, Watching that, and not to say that Trayvon, Eric Brown, Philano Castile, Sandra Bland, you know, Breonna Taylor, like all these people, not to say that their killings or videos of their killings or images or whatever were not as impactful. And I'm not saying that at all. Let me be clear. But I think the difference with George is when you have a man, you know, I'm almost 40, you know, you have a man in our demographic, our age or older, lying on the ground calling for his mother who is gone that you can't shake that, you know, you have a grown man and it's it's actually upsetting me now and making me angry, but you have a grown man on the ground calling for his mother. Like he is a child. Is Mm -hmm. that fearful of his life? I think when people saw that, that was the breaking point. It was like, all right, we're, we're sick of this shit. Um, now, now we got a problem. Like we've had a problem, but now it's like, okay, you enough is enough. You guys are watching this and condoning this and you're condoning it by not arresting this man and putting him on trial immediately, which I think should be for the death penalty. This, this, this Chauvin asshole, you're, you know, you, you're saying that it's okay. And it takes up uproar, uh, uh, uproar and outrage and us going out in the streets protesting this man's name for you to go, oh maybe we should arrest these officers. He blatantly, blatantly had every intent of killing this man. And you could see it in his face in the video. This wasn't accidental. This was intentional. Well he almost and, seemed and people, he almost you know, seemed
0: casual. He almost seemed right. una- unaffected. percent it was orgasmic in yeah.
1: my in my opinion. Yeah it was like he was getting off on that shit, man, in my opinion, looking at the video. I mean when you look up at the camera He looked directly into the camera of the guy that was filming and just looked at him like, yeah, I'm doing this. And it's like, yo, you mentally are are not right. And I don't mean, oh, he was mentally disturbed. We should put him in a psychoside. No, you're mentally fucked in the head as far as I'm okay with doing this to people. Like you, you were. this was a learned behavior. You were taught this either by your parents or by being in that police department. Somewhere along the way, you were taught that this was okay. And you stuck by that ideology. And that became part of your morals. And I think the justice system is completely broken. If I had it my way, it's like, okay, you guys want to go back to, you know, you want to go back in time, you know, back to the 1800s, you know, and, 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 you know, slavery and all that. Even before the 1800s, you want to go back and oh, black people didn't, you know, weren't this and weren't that. Okay, fine. You want to take it back to history. I think we should go back into the wild west. All right, you know, forget that. We settle stuff the old-fashioned way. You know, we're going to have a duel. And, and cats like Chauvin, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Or do you want to you wanna kill black people? All right, cool. I'm going to have your ass go lock in the room with Mike Tyson for about 10 minutes. Let's see how you fare. You know, <laughs> it, that's that's what I think it should. It really, that's what I think it should go back to. I don't think it should be that thing of, okay, these guys think, you know, you, you're a tough guy behind the badge. Okay, cool. Take that badge off and go down to Watts. Or South Central Or go to Brooklyn You know, Well, Brooklyn's kind of gentrified You know, take your ass to Certain parts of Brooklyn You know, Queens Take your ass over to where I grew up You know, uh, in, in Yonkers now Or Mount Vernon Or take your ass over to Atlanta You know, these areas Where there's a high concentration Of black people Take your ass over there And pop that old Nigger, nigger, nigger and Pop all that shit Without that badge And let's see what happens Right. You know, because it's going to be A totally different narrative
0: and, and, you know, I don't I don't want to And by the way Thank you so much for that. That was so much to dig into and, um, and, and passionate, of course, uh, and I'll, I will get to uh, your response, but, but what I saw is, um, cause I don't want to make any excuses for the officer. Um, right. Uh, I, I didn't see any mental health. I didn't see his parents in there. I don't want to attribute any hate to his parents or even to the right. police force. What I saw was someone, and it's a very kind of familiar glance. It's the glance of, I have no concern of getting in trouble here to, the, to right. the point that I don't realize that I'm even, there's nothing happening here except that I'm arresting a person that has no value to me and no right. value to the community through my lens. And therefore, and this is why he can look up at the video, like you said, because the person video and he's like oh that person's ultimately on my side because i'm i'm cleaning the streets of of someone who i don't value and they probably don't value mm-hmm. either and that comes mm-hmm. from doing this over and over and over again with not this bad of a result and is facing no consequence from the community or from his own police department and then i think when you look at right. this happening across the nation It was like there was like kindling with gasoline on it, just waiting for the next spark. Because the uh, times that happened in the past, you know, the police had not been brought to justice. It just literally runs at 5 p.m. on a Friday as a news (laughs) headline that blah, blah, blah. Officer will not be charged in the murder of. Right. And you're like, whoa. And in some of the most powerful symbolism, you were talking about symbolism earlier, Some of the most powerful symbolism is this idea that four years ago we attempted the most peaceful protest ever, uh, sort of led by Colin Kaepernick and his teammates by taking a knee. Right. Right. And of course, that was shat on by the administration and and the NFL and others. Fast forward to George Floyd. And here we have the breaking point with an officer on one knee. Right. Right. And where it could have went was 2016 with Colin Kaepernick and how it could have had a better outcome. But we we shunned that. Not we as the black community, but as a no, culture. A, as, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then where it, where it set on fire was a knee. The end result of not listening to that protest was a knee on George Floyd's neck, killing, right. killing him. And that symbolism was always so powerful. Um, It remains so powerful to me, but, but yeah, it, um, going back to what you said about sort of learning about who you are, what I've always said is that, is that every, every person can go back into their, um, family tree and see where they came from. If they, if they try hard enough, that is not something black people can really do. Right. Uh, they can go back so far and then that's it. And that's why my recommendation to anybody is to take a black history course, whether you be white or black, um, it, it you, you, will relearn, you will be reeducated on the history you thought was true mm-hmm. and it really will help you. Um, I, I did that in college. So I'm, I want to say I'm speaking from the horse's mouth here, like taking black history and black psychology, um, as a part of one of my minors, was a big deal for me. And it sort of, it, it changed my perspective on the history I'd learned up to that point. And I'm a, i am love history, um, in, in a meaningful way. So my recommendation is to do that, you know, as, uh, as soon as you can, uh, so you can actually be reeducated. You know, I would say, I don't know, maybe half of everything I learned was either undertold or just flat out, not true, just simply the narrative and I've had to relearn it. And um you know, the last thing I'll say about about your response to my question is is I have a unique take on this because I am biracial. Right. My mom's black, dad is white. Um and that means half my life I grew up with a lot of white people. <laughs> half right. my life right. I grew up with a lot of black people. And and being able to sort of um walk that line, um, understand the flippancy sort of racial flippancy that happens in the South all the time um, Mm -hmm. where you might guess that that person that said that thing or did that thing has no clue. They offended you or, or what they did was offensive. Um, And so what you said about living up North and then coming down South, I relate to it for real, but, but in a, in a different way, Um, it's almost the same thing. You know, when you have a white dad, you're going to talk proper, (laughs) which sounds ridiculous to say, like, why wouldn't you talk proper if you had a black dad? But it's just, it's, it's some, it's something that I heard all the time. That thing you said were, Oh, you sound white. I heard that all the time growing up all all the time. time. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it made me go try to seek out places where I could be valuable, um, by being myself. Because right. the first, I'd say, 24, 20, maybe 22, yeah, i say 22 years of my life, I, I was not valuable being myself in my community. In my community, I was valuable for how good I could hoop, how good I could fight, and how many girls I could sleep with. Right. And, and if I wasn't doing those things, um, if I wasn't fighting, playing sports, or getting girls, I didn't have very much value. Now, art was in there, too. You know, I could... I could play piano so that people would come to my house, Chris, at night and and they'd be there all night long. And we would we had a real to real recorder. Right. So real old okay. school. And I had yeah. a, and I had a keyboard. OK. And this keyboard allowed me to play a beat. Or sometimes I wouldn't even do that. Sometimes I would just find something wicked to play on piano because I could play piano. It was only one of my friends in my friend group that could play an instrument and right. I would play The 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 riffs live while we were recording on this reel to reel, and people would come over and put down like (laughs) three hundred bars and running. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) Uh, At at my house, every and and this Chris happened every night. Like it was uh, it was a great time um, to to be an artist, but but that was the value I brought. And then when I got with my uh, business partner, Nick, who, who I met at Vanderbilt when I was actually rehearsing and writing songs, uh, we clicked right away because we had that same experience of, you know, how do I bring value just being myself uh, and not fall into the stereotypes that, you know, society expects a black man to be and in. In that spirit, I, I wanted to ask you um, how has, you know, in your opinion, the film industry sort of portrayed or, or perpetrated a negative black image and, um, and how has it sort of per- perpetrated real racism offset? Uh, hmm. well, yeah, uh, a
1: couple of quick things. First off, while Wall- I'm on my mind if I go after that. Um, I totally get where you're coming from as far as the biracial aspect. And, and let's be clear, like I said, just because I'm pro one thing does not mean I'm anti-something else. As a matter of fact, uh, I was talking to my niece who's an educator. She teaches uh, eighth grade. She teaches, I think, the perfect grade for uh, to make a change. You know, My niece, Robin Green, teaches in Orlando. And I think she teaches seventh, eighth grade, like basically transitioning into high school. And she is this young black teacher with locks, teaching mostly an all-white class, mm-hmm. and she's one of the few black teachers at her school. And she does an amazing fucking job. And again, excuse the, the language, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm it's 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 a big boy show. Yeah. You're all big boy, yeah, big girl yeah. show. Um, she she's fantastic, man. You know, and I'm not saying that because it's my my niece and family, and I love her. She just to see this little big headed girl with big ears grow up to be this, this, this amazing black woman educating these white kids on what it properly means to understand what's going on, especially now and her having locks and, you know, that stereotype of people, Oh, dreads and blah, blah, which by the way, to educate people do not call them dreads. They are called locks. Dreads is a negative stereotype, you know, that Hollywood unfortunately plays into as well. Uh, You know, and to educate, people, you know, these kids on that. And she loves her job. She loves teaching. I would have never thought, honestly, she would have been a teacher. And I'm glad, uh, she, she is because they, they are learning the true history and, 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 and she's teaching in a way where it's, it's, you don't need to be ashamed of who you are, white, black, or otherwise, but you need to respect other people's culture and what they brought up. So, you know, that being biracial aspect and I have by biracial people in, in our family clearly, um, because we were discussing that recently and I was telling her, I'm like, you know, I wanna do the our ancestry, like I wanna dive into our history because we know that on my father's side, you know, we 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 do have you know, we are mixed there. There's some biracial going in, especially going back to slavery days, obviously. Uh, but it, it, it's as close to us. I think as as far as our grandmother or my grandmother, her great grandmother, or even my great grandmother, like that close and generational. So we want to do some research on that. Have you done a 23 and me? No. Well, so I've done some research and I'm hearing conflicting things. I'm hearing from people that 23 and me is not the way to go because they, you know, obviously the government knows about this stuff, but they that there's been allegations that 23andMe has been used negatively toward black men uh, in far as, like cases or you know of accused rape and blah blah blah. Again, you know, the media like Denzel said, you know, if you if you if you watch the news, you're misinformed. If you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. It's gotten to that point. So uh, sources are you know probably at best 60% reliable now, but i found more positive reviews from ancestry.com across the board, not just both blacks, but blacks, Latinos, whites across the board, more people seem to like, and I'm not plugging either one. Let's be clear. Just from my research, uh, more people seem to like ancestry.com. They say they do a better job as far as going far back and being detailed with the research and not just telling you, Oh, you're from this tribe or oh, you're from here. And there you go. Like ancestry. Apparently, uh, tries to give you go to this specific particular city and look up these people and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I'm still doing the research on it. I just want to, I want to, whoever I use, I want to use somebody that's going to be effective enough to tell me if I, Hey, you're from, you know, your family actually is only from, you know, West Africa, post to us out there or wherever, you know, if I go over somewhere, you know, and and I want to be able to go to a village or whatever and try to see if I can find, you know, something because I don't want to it's, just go, oh, you're part black, you're part yeah. white, you're part like, I don't know. I want to get more in depth than that.
0: It's it's pretty startling. And yeah. um, they were able to pinpoint the village that my family in Germany lives in right now. Wow. This is 23 me. 23 me. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Uh well, and they haven't always had this. I was an early adopter. I'm an early adopter in a lot of things actually. But um and so this they've grown into that. But you know, the funny thing is 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 my general position when it comes to businesses, is uh it doesn't matter which one you go with because uh they're going to eat each other. So at right. some point 23andMe is going to buy Ancestry.com or Ancestry.com is going to buy 23andMe because it's really, you're not buying the, you're buying the database, right? So right, right. at one point, one of these are going to own the database and their powers are going to be combined. So, uh, True.
1: all in good time, Chris, all in good time. Right, but, right, right. but Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rushing. Like I said, I don't make rush decisions when it comes to something like that. So, you know, I'm, you know, that's why you do your research as best you can. I mean, the internet, even though that's the thing about the internet, it's 50% reliable and 50% unreliable. So hopefully you, you, you find the right the right percentage to be on but um that's a whole nother
0: yeah. podcast just trying right, to right, 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 understand right. how to pick your sources for right and, and trusted sources for for how to get information um right but, but regarding right. and i guess i asked you the question chris because um the, the documentary on series on Netflix 13th has come out and um, yeah. you mentioned birth of a nation and being in that right. and how much you learned from being on that. But that's a, I'm so glad that film got made because the original birth of a nation was really right. what sparked uh, according to 13th what is really what sparked the re uh, reemergence of the KKK and correct in that they great, never great. they never actually used to burn crosses that was all that all came from the movie uh, and the director and I'm forgetting the director's name DW gosh I can't remember Griffith which, DW Griffin, Griffin. yeah DW Griffith said it just looked great on camera and you, <laughs> you've you known a lot of cinematographers and directors that would make that comment it's like I, it's, it's totally plausible Oh, that, damn that looks fucking awesome birth right. is cross that looks dramatic And then they started doing it. so it's a case of art imitating life and I was just curious about what your opinion is on, on you know um, have there been films that have stuck out to you that that clearly created a change in the zeitgeist in real life or have caused do you think people to be racist offset uh, based on just the you know how you're portrayed? Uh, in the business. So being thug number one or thug number two or gang member, number one, gang member, number two.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing, you know, media creatives, and I say this all the time, media and creatives are the most powerful people in the world. And I'm not saying that because I'm an actor, it's a fact. And I don't mean just actors. I mean, any type of, person who has access to the media, or I call the media machine, and any type of creative, you know, or entertainer, you know, so whether you're doing sports documentaries, whether you're doing case in point, the last dance. Did you watch the last dance series? Of the course. Documentary? Of course. Okay. Had to. Brought back so many feelings, <laughs> right? You're like, oh yeah. Man, yeah, yeah. Is. But after the second episode or third episode, whichever one chronicled Jordan's shoe deal. And which mm-hmm. by far to this day is still the highest shoe deal that any athlete has ever gotten in history. It hasn't been broken. Cause if you look at now, obviously it's like, well, LeBron got, no, 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 Jordan got $400 million. If you translate that into today's terms, it's, it's something stupid. It's like close to a billion. Right. It's something dumb. So right. after that second or third episode of last dance, Goat, which is a site that a lot of people use to buy old retro shoes and you know stock and stuff, StockX.
0: Right, right.
1: Those two sites immediately after the episode finished because that was that was talking about the release of the Jordan, the very first pair he wore. Those sites crashed and were down for three hours <laughs> because people were trying to buy Jordan. If you go on those sites now, the Jordan shoes have gone up in cost thirty percent. People are paying like $600 for Jordans, $700 for Jordans. That lets you know right there, if that documentary hadn't come out, no way that would have happened. I mean, people still buy Jordans and stuff, but no way that would have happened. That goes to show the power that the media has. So we have to be mindful as creatives when we make films as a writer, director, a casting director, a producer, even an actor. You know, as a musician, as, as a rapper, as a singer, as a dancer you know, a gymnast, a Colin Kaepernick, whatever. When we're around the media machine, we have to be mindful of the image that we are putting out because that's what we signed up for. People look to us, unfortunately, in, in this iconic, you know, uh, uh, God-like personas to where it's just like we're, we're above normal people. So when Birth of a Nation, the first one by D.W. Griffith, Griffith came out in 1915, that was the first film shown at the White House. Well, Joe Wilson showed that at the White House. Right. That right there lets you know we were in trouble. Because if you've seen that old film and you've seen the depiction of black people in that film as savages, as monsters, and obviously black people weren't Rapists. in the film. because, Right. And then we weren't even in the film. There were white people in blackface. Correct. Yeah. So just to show that at a White House at the highest seat in this country, the president is basically telling everybody. This is this these are what black this is what black people do.
0: This yeah, I believe uh, Woodrow Wilson's quote was uh watching this film is
1: history written in lightning. Right. Right. And I'm like of course the Ku Klux Klan is going to you know get a, a a rise in membership That's just like any type of film You know with, during during World War II Was it 42 in the 40s you know 41, 42 enrollment And, and, and the military went up because you're seeing All this propaganda of Hitler Is this Satan spawn And you know you want to be the hero That takes him down same thing with Bin Laden You know after 2011 enrollment In the military went uh, excuse me 2001 uh, uh, A enrollment In the military went up at the 9-11 Because you know or we, we know who did it, and we're ready to, you know, George Bush came out there, we're ready to go to war with these mm-hmm. sons of bitches, you know, and everybody's like, I want to fight for my country, I want to fight for my country. That's the media machine, man, that that they put out images and go, this is what, this is what it is. So when it comes right. to black people and the film industry in particular, my gripe is not just with white creators, it's also with our creators. And here's why. So, Hollywood has this thing, and and, and by the way, I do want to say, uh, you know, cause this, this, this plays into what I'm, what I'm talking about, but I do want to shout out and say, um, the, the creatives behind Hollywood, the show on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's getting a lot of flack because of the, there's a lot of intense, uh, gay, you know, love and scenes or whatever, which that's your own insecurities. You're a homophobe, closeted homophobe. If watching two men kiss, you know, uh, or, or have sex or whatever is, that's how it was back then. That's they're, they're being as accurate as possible. That's how it was in the depiction of Hollywood. People were very free like that. Um, but that's not the only message in the show. The message in the show is this is how Hollywood was. And this is how people are trying to get along. But the creatives of that series, um, Ian, um, um, Ian Brennan and Ryan Murphy, right? They, to me, took a chance and was like, we're going to show people how it was back in the day, how it was like actors trying to get agents and the things they had to do, unfortunately, you know, sleeping with each other to get, you know, gigs, you know, which is still not different from today, honestly. Uh, let's just keep it a book. Uh, but the performances <laughs> by the actors and in, 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 in this series, Are amazing And the depiction of Like Jeremy Pope should definitely get nominations I mean his performances Are are stupid Darren Chris, Dylan McDermott, all the, the cast was great But I bring that up to say You know They try to change the narrative Of what black people What gay people, what Asian people You know what women You know are viewed as And a lot of people shunned it because they, you know, change. They don't want to see that. So when you have creatives taking the money grabs, as Kenya Barris called it on Black, Black AF, you know, they're perpetuating the cycle. So again, that's why I had so much respect and is so proud to this day is still one of the best to me, one of the best marks on my resume, being a part of Nate Parker's Birth of Nation, is because he was told by several high profile black filmmakers to change the title or they wouldn't support it because you're going to cause issues. You're going to cause issues. And he, and, and that's in confidentiality to the cast. So obviously I'm not going to, I'm not going to put these folks on blast, but you know, Nate was hurt because he was like, yo, these are people that I look up to in our community and they're mad because I'm trying to spin the narrative. Uh, When people say birth of a nation, Nate's Nate's whole goal was when people say birth of a nation, I want them to forget that the 1950 film existed. That's my goal. Because he's like, they told their story of how black people are. I'm telling my story of how, you know, the birth of our nation. You're talking about the birth of your nation. The birth of our nation started way before that. And he's like, you know, the birth of their nation, in his mind, was the birth of the Ku Klux Klan nation, where the birth of our nation was the uprising of black people, understanding their power. And, and yes, it's about Nat Turner. And unfortunately the revolt, causing him killing, you know, him and other slaves uprising, killing men, women, and children. No, killing in any form is not right. I don't care if you're black, white, purple, I don't give a damn who you are. Killing unnecessarily is not right. You know, uh, killing in defense, that's different. You're defending yourself. That's Mm -hmm. why there's, you know, supposed to be different laws for that. But I think when the media, um, comes out and says black films don't do well overseas unless, you know, with the black leading love interest, that doesn't work. We have to see him being the thug and selling the drugs and and the flashy cars and the gold fronts and all that. It's like, yo, who are you? What neighborhoods are you in? Because that's <laughs> not that's not how black people. And the thing about it is, when you see th- those are the stereotypical drug dealers, yeah, but that makes up a small part of our population. It's like they, we either, like you said, wow, the shooting jump shots, those are the films we're in, we're drug dealers, we're pimps, you know, or, you know, we're the, the shucking and jiving, yes sir, you know, I'll, I'll stand on the front lines and fight. It's like, all right, cool, but then when a filmmaker comes out like a Spike Lee or a filmmaker comes out like a Barry Jenkins and shows a different side of what we do, now people are coming at them, you know, in Nate park, and now people are coming at them like, oh man, so you, you causing problems now on both sides, and that's why I said I come after both sides of our community, because it goes to something you said earlier about, you know, the learned behavior, mm-hmm. and I understand where you're coming from, but to me, like I said, that's something that's regurgitated and passed down it's, it's you know white people learn this from their ancestors, and then they teach it in the schools, and blah blah blah, cool, but the difference is, in my opinion, is there's a difference in between being um, being uneducated and being ignorant. And to me, if you look by the definitions, uneducated basically means you don't know because essentially you were not taught. Right. Ignorance is you don't know because you chose to not want to know you, you were given the opportunity to be taught and you said, no, I already know, or no, I don't want to do it. Or you know better, but you're like, ah, but this fits my comfort zone. So I'm going to act like that doesn't, you know, ignorance is bliss as they say. So, so when, so when Hollywood comes out and you have white writers and you know, this, you're a producer, you're a filmmaker, you're a writer, you know, this, you, you write what, you know, you know, You should for, at least for us exactly for us wild man adult interference. You know, Ted and and and, and is not going to sit there. You know, he's not going to sit there and get with you guys and Serena and Jacqueline. You know, and Stephanie. He's not. All of you guys are not going to sit there and go. You know what else would be cool? We're going to have his character who 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 played football go and. And he's going to all of a sudden know how to play water polo. It's like you you guys are talking about experiences that you actually lived in right. Tennessee that you know. So that's what adds the authenticity to the film. If you were trying to bring in a character from, you know, freaking Bangladesh and neither one of you ever been there, then it's going to come across fake. So writers write what they know, but producers produce what they know. So when you have a writer's room of just all white people and you're trying to tell a black story, that's the problem. You're not educated on it. You need to have somebody who's versed in what you're telling in that story be in that room, in that writer's room, just like black, you know, filmmakers. I'm tired of seeing the same black actors and black directors doing all of our damn films. It's like, stop it. You're not, you're being lazy. You're not reaching out there and understanding people who actually may have a better knowledge of the actor or actress that you have in the room because you want to have them in there because of social media numbers or whatever. Case in point, not ill-talking this brother because I think he does a good job, but Chadwick Boseman is not our go-to to play every black hero or black person that we know in history. Right? Like, he's not. He should never have been Thurgood Marshall. That man is 20 shades too dark to be Thurgood Marshall. You know what I mean? Like you have a better chance of doing it. Or I had a better chance of doing it, especially you because Thurgood He had wavy hair. He was very uh, fair skinned. Right. Chadwick is, is like, what What are you talking about right now? Why is he the only option? And now you're starting to see that with like Michael B. Jordan and Stephen James. And again, nothing against these brothers. I think they're, they're phenomenal actors. I think they do good in their own right. But Hollywood is perpetuating that stereotype of these are the only solid black actors that we have that can portray these stories. Meanwhile, if you go across the fence and they do it with the, you know, they're doing it, you've seen it with the Asian community. Yeah, I think you've even seen it with the Latin community, but you go with the white community, you don't see Leonardo DiCaprio in every role. You don't see uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in every role. There's there's new actors coming up, it seems like, every year or two. Meanwhile, you know, they keep hours for Denzel is still doing parts that, you know, he's, he's 20 years too old for. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, it's like, come on, man. Are you are you serious, right? And then with the de-aging, well, they got the de-aging thing. So what? Like, find somebody who give us some fresh stories, man. People are not stupid. They're getting real tired of seeing the same stuff over and over. And Hollywood again, especially with black people, we're getting tired of being portrayed as the thug and blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, cool. That 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 has to stop. You know, and that's why for me personally. I've I've switched up so many agents over the years, and and gotten rid of my team and rebuild my team, and I, I'm pretty happy with my team now. I think they're pretty solid now because they understand where I'm trying to go with my career. That's why you look at my resume, you don't see thug 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 thug, 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 thug cop, cop 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 cop. You don't you see it broken up. You know what I mean? And if I'm playing those quote unquote types, they're different types. You can't put my character Chris Maddox from Complications, that that guy who's a thug and in a gang, you can't compare him to Bobby LaRoe from Queen of the South. They're right. Two different types of dudes. Bobby is by far more of a lieutenant. He's more of a, yeah, he's a he's a bad guy, quote unquote. But in his mind, he's running an enterprise. He's not, you know, exactly. for me I didn't approach it as he's a thug. He's running an enterprise. He's he's the number two man in the enterprise and he's trying to if if he grew up in a different situation in New Orleans, he'd be running a Fortune 500 company or he'd be a CFO of a Fortune 500 company to where Maddox is just some dude on the block, like the smoke weed, get into a little bit of trouble and chase the honeys that yes, those two, those two dudes exist and they're both black and they both could have come. From the same area You know what I mean And I think that's where Hollywood is getting it twisted It's like Chris Maddox And and, and my character From Complications And my character From Queen of the South Could have literally Grown up next door To each other But be, because of their views On the hood They grew up in Or how their parents Raised them They went off To different paths Ultimately they're both In a life of crime But one is doing Way better than the other one One is, one is having Longevity as far as Life and finances Or whatever More so than the other one And you see that All the time And in white cinema, at least in my opinion, you see that. You see the American dream, you see the come up and, and it's painted in such a a great way. You know, you, I had this conversation with a fellow black actor, a friend of mine. I was like, you know, they're always portraying us as the drug dealers. They, they love talking about the Coke epidemic, you know, like snowfall mm-hmm. type stuff. And snowfall is great, but like, they like talking about those stories. They like talking about the weed seller. They like talking about the Frank Lucases. They like talking about all that stuff, right? How come we don't see any films about meth heads? Because black people don't do meth. Like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) what's the last time you see on the news that black people are selling, manufacturing, and doing meth? Like that's really not a drug that's in the black community. That's in the white community.
0: Well, they had they had breaking bad, but you breaking bad. But with breaking bad, of course, you have the character who is the genius and he's just the misplaced genius that happens to be he would never be involved in meth if he didn't have cancer and, and right. you know, wasn't betrayed in the breaking bad. was incredible. Absolutely, uh, but, right. but, but and Paul? yes, right. But you can tell the positioning's, you know, totally different, you know, it's, it, in a, in a black show like that, the the, 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 black character is never like in the business because he's just a, a, a misguided genius. Except, right. you, know, maybe, you know, maybe in, um, uh, the wire, where you had uh Idris right. Elba's character. Right. He seemed he seemed like he wanted to he was a little too smart, uh you know what I mean, like for his own good. And and that he just I think what they portrayed is this guy couldn't get opportunities in the real world and he applied his his intelligence to in a legal enterprise so there are some examples but I get what you're saying for the for the most part it's it's most that part. other example and and I, I guess I asked the question because you I, I am curious whether or not art or our life imitates art and and we go out as minorities as black men and women and then behave to the expectation of the news media and entertainment community, uh, in our behavior, in our music, in our style of talk, dress, uh, et cetera. Well, uh, and vicious, I wonder, I wonder how cycle. we would act because if, yeah, cause it, it is, you're wondering which came first, the chicken or the egg. Cause right. if you go back and watch videos of, of black men and women being interviewed during the civil rights movement. It is like night and day between what you would see on the media today of a black man right. being interviewed in the street. It, it, it is just uh, in the '60s they'd be wearing a suit, they'd be articulate, right. they'd have a mission, they'd be mission minded, they'd have a demand, and um, and now we got you know hide your kids, hide your wife, um, right? <laughs> you right. know what I mean? And that's and totally that's, different. And that's
1: the unfortunate thing, you know. It's it's you know the, again that goes back to the media machine, you know. Back back then. We or, like Killer Mike said. Killer Mike did a a, a very emotional thing with him, Erica Shields, uh, Mayor Bottoms, I saw uh, that. Shields, Police Chief in Atlanta. Yeah, and, and him and Ti, and he was very, you know, very emotional. And you know, and he said, we got to, you know, we got to strategize, we got to organize, you know, we we got we got to we got to plan these things out. You know what I mean? And and we got to we got to do it together. And that was the thing in the in the '60s. You can say what you want about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, you know, but these these cats, you know, even even um you know, uh, you know, uh, Black Panthers, you know, want when it comes with, um, with, um, Hammond and, um, ah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, drawing a blank right now. Um, brother that was, that was, that was murdered, obviously. Damn. I can't believe I'm, you know, having a brain fart right now. That's crazy. Um, you know, but these brothers, uh, these brothers got together and with the community and said, check this out. Here's, uh, here's how we're going about, uh, uh Hubie Newton. Damn, I'm sitting here thinking. I'm like, hey, yeah, it's nice. yeah, yeah. killing my brain right now. Yeah. Um, these brothers got together and organized and sat there and said, "Okay, check this out. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to get together and we are going to a- approach the plan of attack like this. And everybody needs to be on one accord. So if we're marching to Selma, you know, Dr. King's like, everybody needs to be dressed accordingly. If we're marching." You know, we're doing a Black Panther thing. Everybody, all black berets, militant, just like they have their military. We need to have our military. Like these are things that we don't have anymore. It's now you get on Instagram, meet me here, and everybody comes looking all different, and and then they go from there. There's no, there's no organization. Nobody's on one accord. You know, it's it's organized chaos, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that's where you have the, you know, how you And that's the thing about the media machine the media machine is now going to go out and go, okay, we're not going to find the educated black person to interview. Let's, oh, this girl over here with a with a boobs out and, and, you know, half her hair done, let's go ask her. Mm-hmm. And then that's what you see on the news who again, and, and not all the time, I will say that I've seen it a little bit more now, but only because there's more of those ignorant racist white folks coming out now. You're starting to see the same on the white side. They're interviewing, you know, the meth head who's missing teeth, or the 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 trailer girl, you know, that that identifies the stereotype of the trailer park. You know, she's coming out and, yeah, y'all, all these black folks out here. You know, like now they're you're seeing it on both sides, mm-hmm. and and to me, it's not a good look out of the way because if you're somebody outside of this country, you're like, yo, Americans are stupid, you know, because yeah. it's that's what what you're what you're seeing, and and again, I think that cycle. Comes back to in particular to us, the cycle comes back to all right, when it comes to our entertainment, we're tired of seeing them portray us a certain way, we're tired of our music portraying us a certain way. So now it becomes a thing of if you're tired of that, then make a different song, and then we need to support it. That's the other thing, it comes from both sides. Black people need to support it. You need to not, you know, when you're supporting. and then everybody's about this cancel culture. Stop that BS. I hate I hate that cancel culture. It's so dumb. You know, you're listening to this guy's song talk about bitch, this, hoe, that, you know, I'll slap your mama, blah, blah, blah. And then when somebody comes out with a song like uplift our black Women, oh, that's whack. That whack bars. That's not it. Okay, well then if that's not gonna make any money, that artist can't afford to put their stuff out anymore. So now all you're gonna have is the influx of the negativity and and whatever. And it's like, yes you know, people are going to emulate what they think is cool based on the media machine. I mean, that's, that's been proven time and time again, if it were cool to be a Carlton banks, you would see a lot more brothers running around and Brooks brothers with cardigans and sweaters tied around their neck and, and khaki shorts and loafers. But nah, that's not, that's not the good look. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So, and, and you, you might remember that, that we got our start through, um, being close to the Gregory family and Dick Gregory, brother, Dick Gregory, and, um, first black comedian on a, on a white stage. And, um, you just wouldn't have Richard Pryor or Paul Mooney or Dave Chappelle or Eddie Murphy without Dick Gregory. And, uh, he used to say, he used to say, I might, I might get 30, 40 people in a room when I'm speaking. But, but if that, if I were a rapper that was going to call you a bunch of bitches and one, hoes. one
1: second, I don't know if you can hear this. Hold yeah. on one second.
0: Oh, Okay. Hold on. I'm hearing some protesting.
1: Right. That's what I was saying, they had Shut us down. So they're, they're out here. And it's a beautiful sight, honestly, man. But I don't know if you could hear this, and I think it would be great for the cast. Yeah, let,
0: me, uh, let, me, let me get a listen to this. So this is live in Atlanta, correct?
1: No, I'm in actually Orlando right now.
0: Oh, you're in Orlando. okay. So my family's down here, Orlando. my daughter's
1: there. So Got it. It's a lot. This is Orlando Orlando area, yeah. Um, and it's beautiful, man. It's is absolutely beautiful. Um, but, you know, like I said and it's, and it's actually bad weather out here too So it's not like it's pretty weather, weather out here in Florida It's muggy, it's raining, it's cloudy um, And, you know, they got a nice little crowd It looks like about a crowd of I'd say close to 100 It might be like maybe slightly under that 75 or so um, And, you know, they got signs Yeah, and they're out here protesting And it's a nice mixed crowd too, man It's not just African Americans, man You got you got men, women in there, black, white I see a couple of Spanish It's uh, pretty amazing, man. So, um, and they're marching up the street here.
0: I love it, man. This is, uh, (laughs) I don't know if it'll pick up as good as it should. I hear it really well in my headphones, but I don't know if it'll pick up as well in the recording. I I really hope it does. Um, And you've been so cool with your time, man. Um, I only have a few more questions if you're good.
1: Sure, 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 sure. Uh,
0: This morning, Colin Colin Powell uh, endorsed Joe Biden. Uh, Why do you think Joe Biden... Emerged as the Democratic candidate?
1: Uh, two reasons. One, the lesser of two evils. Because, let's get it twisted, I don't think Joe Biden is, uh, out of all the candidates that we have, between the Cory Bookers, you know, even, you know, unfortunately Hillary Clinton, Clinton obviously, but, uh, you know, between him, you know, just, just, just the amount of Bernie Sanders, the amount of people that we had to come down to Joe Biden and Trump um, I was like, all right, is better. than I'm better than Trump. Anything is better. I'm, cookie monster is better than Trump, but you know, <laughs> but I think that's what it, that's what it became. And unfortunately, um, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like it really is. I mean, this guy, I'm, I'm, I'm truly like, I, I don't listen. Hate is a very powerful word we thought around a lot, but when I was, as I became an acting coach and learned more about the craft and about people, I really stopped using that word loosely because it's a very powerful word, just like love. Um, so I don't hate too many people like, you know, I, honestly, I, I can, I, I don't even think of too many people I actually can say I hate. He's one of them. And the reason why I said that is because he has done more damage to our country as a people than anybody, I think, in recent history. Um, I I hate that. I I really hate, like, literally, if I saw him on the side of the road, and I know this is not nice to say, but I'm just being honest, if I saw him on the side of the road and he was on fire, like they say, I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire, Mm -hmm. not a chance. I'd let him burn because he's just, he's evil, that's why I say I hate him. Like I've, I've, I've never, like I've, he is evil straight up. This man is evil. The, the things that he has done, it's unfathomable. Like to the point to where when your own supporters, these are also people who have the same ideolo- ideology as you, but some of your own supporters sit there and go, Oh my wait, hold up. Did he really just say that? That's how you know you're bad. When it's like your own supporters are sitting here talking about how crazy and wild you are. Um, well,
0: here's, here's how lost Trump is. He'll say something that his own supporters won't support, but he said it because he thought, oh, this will get my supporters really riled up. Right. So he's so lost that he's created a version of himself that appeals to a group (laughs) that divides us all, Uh, because I truly believe just based on having followed Trump since the 80s, he doesn't give a damn about a poor white person or a middle-class white person. Yes. And if you guys think that he does, you really have swallowed the, uh, the Kool-Aid here. You've really drank the Kool-Aid here. Right. Um, he, he right. is, he is right. an elitist. He is a, a, a narcissist that is above uh, the law in his mind and is above reproach. And, um, and, and, deserves what you don't in his own opinion. Right. And so he right. will say whatever he has to say to win and to get elected and to stroke the ego. But he has, he doesn't have like, he's not going to show up. he He's going to be like Axelrod in, in the show billions when he went back to Yonkers and, and he couldn't. Right. St- he couldn't stand being in Yonkers enough to actually yes. even go in there and, and have the dinner he promised he was going to have. If you if you guys watch Billions, but um, that's what it's like. He's he's like there's no. He's not showing up at your house to come come break bread with you if you're in middle or lower class white America, he could care less. So, so don't be fooled. And by the way, I want to clear up something from earlier. We had a conversation earlier where you were talking about Ted. You said Ted, he's talking about, Chris was talking about Ted Welch, the actor uh, from the Help and from the film adult interference and adult interference, by the way, is a film that is directed by all women uh, co-written by women, uh, mostly produced by women. And stars uh, our guest today, Chris Green, in it uh, in a role that I was proud that you were in because you were the guy that had your life together and was right. trying to be an example instead of it's, it's instead the of the right instead of the, the stereotypical black characters we have been talking about. Um, right. I'm curious right. if you could pick one outcome from all these protests. You're down in Orlando. we just heard the sounds of protest. If you could right. pick one outcome from these protests, what would it be?
1: Um sort of to 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 finish really quick your question, just to time on that with Biden. I think honestly, uh the reason why yes. he's endorsed is because the access to Barack. I think it's mm. so in my opinion, this is not fact again, guys. It's not law. I'm not I'm not the politic man. I'm just telling you from what I see following social media, people who are big on politics and, and, and just two and two together, you know, two and two makes four. He has access. He has the ear of Barack. And I think people feel like if Biden is in there, Barack in some way, shape or form is going to be, Hey man, you might not want to do that. Hey man, you might not want to do this. Much like Barack had Hillary and bill, you know, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so I think people think, okay, through that, it'll, it'll, it'll obviously be better than Trump, but through that, maybe we'll get some sort of uh semblance of normality or whatever. So I, I, you know, as far as Colin Powell, so maybe that's what it is. I can't speak for him, but you know, for me looking at it outside, looking in, it's like, okay, that, that makes sense to me. But, um, but yeah, I think either case, you know, we, we, we are, going to, you know, Start the path of being better or start the path of being a hell of a lot. I mean, people don't think it can get worse than what it is now. And let me tell you something, another four years of Trump will prove that wrong. Um, so, but anyway, uh, the outcome from these protests for me. Yeah, if you had to pick one, like, what, what would it be? People exercising white people and 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 power, not just all white people white people in power that are doing the oppressing, whether knowingly or unknowingly developing really good listening skills. I think that ultimately for me is what needs to be done is they need to have, they need to put their listening ears on and shut up and not talk and just listen to those who are being, to those who are being oppressed. Um, I had a student, uh, alumni or I call it alumni. She was one of my first students. She, I coach her here and there, but she no longer actively fully trains with me. She's in New York now. She's, she went to Adler. She's now directing plays and stuff. Um, you know, she talked to me. She told me a story, basically. I won't get into it because, you know, we're wrapping up, but she told me a story about her experience, her real first experience in New York with racism from the police, in a sense of how quickly they came to come help her once they realized she was white. Mm-hmm. She lives in she lives in Brooklyn and in a non-gentrified area. I think it's more predominantly still black and and whatnot. So she, you know, and and her neighbor who's a black woman was basically telling her, "Wow, that they've never responded like that and they didn't even come up in here." Blah blah blah. So she asked me while we were having class virtually, obviously because um, of quarantine. You know, she was asking her class, she was asking me and her black uh, classmates, "What can I do as a white person to to help other than, oh, okay, Black Lives Matter and blah blah?" She's like, "What?" Because I feel like we think we're doing, we think we're helping, but clearly, it's it's not as much of an impact as we think, you know. And she's speaking, obviously, from herself. So she was asking me, "What can I do?" And I said, "Well, listening is is a key factor." And I said, "But also using your, you know, privilege, for lack of a better better term, right? You know, using your privilege to shine the spotlight on on those being oppressed." Mm -hmm. So one example I gave her was, you know, picture yourself, you know, driving, right? Picture, picture. If you're a white person listening to this, you know, picture yourself, you're in a brand new 2020 vehicle, you're driving, everything is perfect, pristine, brand new. It's raining wherever you are, daytime, nighttime, doesn't matter. It's raining. I mean, it's coming down rain, but you're safe. You're driving down the, down the road, not necessarily the highway. You're driving down the road and you're heading home and you look over and you happen to see a 1990 broke down POS car, right? It's completely mm-hmm. broke down, no hazards on, no nothing that's broke down. You're like, oh, man, that sucks, you know, unfortunate for that person, whatever. You continue driving, and you see a black person walking in the rain, no umbrella, flagging you down, they're drenched, it's cold out. You pull over, and, you know, nice, and you're, hey, what's going on? You know, what do you, what do you need? and the black person says my cell phone doesn't work. That's my car that's broken down back there. The next gas station is two miles up from here. In this rain, um, I'm just trying to get access to a tow truck so they can tow my car, and um, you know I can get it fixed here at this at this gas station. And I don't have a phone. I can't call and access anybody because my phone died because I couldn't charge it in my car. I think some white folks who don't listen. To the struggles that black people have. What what I picture them doing in that situation is okay, cool. Um, well, safe walking, and they drive up and they call, they go, I'll call for you. And they call on their phone and go, There's a car broke down on Route Six mm-hmm. uh and they need a tow truck and they're driving. Okay, that's nice that you called But this person is still in the rain Still in the cold This black person is still in the rain Still in the cold They're having to walk two miles To this gas station They may not make it there They may get sick They may get hit by a dog They may get hit by a car You know what I mean? All these things are happening And it's just like That white person may go But I called Yes, you did call But you really didn't solve the problem You didn't assist this person in need You didn't use your privilege Of having this brand new car to say, you know what, why don't you get into my car where we have heat and you can dry off and I can drive you these two miles to this gas station while you use my phone to call and be specific with the tow truck about where your car's broken down, what kind of car it is, what happened to it, and where this gas station is that you will meet them. Right. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, that, that's when I explained that to her, she goes, wow. She said, I never, I never looked at it that way. And she understand the point that I was making was, using her privilege to shine the spotlight on by listening to shine a spotlight on us, because what you effectively do is, Hey, everybody, I'm standing up shouting and saying black lives matter and black people are struggling. Now that I have your attention as this white person who you want to listen to and respect, here's this black person standing next to me that I'm bringing to the stage and giving the microphone. Now that I have y'all attention, you need to listen to them. That doesn't happen. You have a lot more people basically saying, I'm a white person fighting for the Black Lives Matter movement because black people are getting beaten. They're getting destroyed. You're listing all the things that we're going through, but it's coming from you as a white person. So it's like, it doesn't have the same effect. You know what I mean? It's not going to have the same, um, same rawness, same, same. It's not going to be as visceral. Because you're actually not living it, opposed to the person standing behind you that's telling you, tell them this too, and tell them this too, and tell them, you know what I mean? Instead of me doing that, just move out the way and let me come to the forefront and say, okay, this is what's really happening. This is what's popping off, and we need you guys to listen and stop doing this tell the police stop doing this, you know?
0: I do. I I love it. Chris, every time we talk, uh, by the end of it, I want to run through a wall. Uh, <laughs> you, you get me pumped up you get me thinking you teach me something new and, and I can't thank you enough for your time tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet
1: absolutely uh, so uh, Twitter is your best bet I'm more responsible on there uh, it's Chris Green I am verified so if you see the blue check then yeah, that's me uh, Instagram it's actor Chris Green um, I had to start a new account because Instagram deleted my account. We're not going to go into that. It's a different podcast. Uh, but, uh, actor, Chris G R E E N E on there. I'm on Instagram here and there. I mean, I'll definitely respond to you and stuff, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not too big on the gram. It's just not really my thing. Uh, but those are the, uh, the two platforms that you can, you can find me on. And then also, uh, my company life of an actor www You know, I do obviously acting training and coaching. But also, it's more than that, you know, we I'm building a community. So if you come on and we have merchandise for sale stuff, every single piece of merchandise goes to some sort of charity or proceeds and go to some sort of uh, company that's bettering the arts, keeping that in for our youth, keeping that in for people. And also uh, different researches, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's breast cancer awareness for, uh, you know, or any type of cancer for women. Like I'm very big on that. Like that's super important to me. So it's not just buying a shirt. Just to say you're an actor, it, it means something. Uh, so that's where you guys can can get at me. And I appreciate your time and giving me this this opportunity to speak, man. The conversations, as you say, are always always great. And continue to do what you're doing, man. Um, you know, I, I know you're. You're basically holding down the fort and trying to make the change, not only in Tennessee, but, you know, just as a creative. So, yeah, we got to get things popping, man. We got to get another, uh, you guys got to get another film off the ground so I can uh, come.
0: Come be a part of it. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff in the mix, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of things coming in 2020. And 2021 for sure. And I can't wait to, to share those with you when, when the time is right. And uh, w- one last question, you know, when I first met you, you were a pretty skinny dude. These days you're looking pretty swole. Right. What's on the gym playlist. If I were to open up your uh, iPhone right now,
1: man, I'm actually got a little bit of late. I'm looking swole in the, in the dad bod way, but I appreciate it. Um, nah, I, I, you know, I try to, I try to, you know, stay a little active. It depends on what I'm doing, man. If I'm doing leg day, I got to get pumped up because everybody hates leg day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting that, you know, a lot of that crunk, you know, like Lil Jon or I'm getting TI, <laughs> Ludacris, like some of that stuff, music that get you, that get you crunked up. If I'm if I'm doing like upper body, you know, but I'm like, I'm not lifting heavy. I'm just kind of pacing myself and doing more toning or any type of thing like that. And I'm definitely going back to New York, man. It's a lot of big, a lot of the J, a lot of, um I would say anything that's like giving me that vibe, but just pacing myself. And if I'm just doing like cardio, man, believe it or not, it's gonna sound strange. I don't know why, because I sound strange to other people, but believe it or not, if I'm doing any type of like cardio, whether it's on treadmill, jumping rope or whatever, It's a lot of that 80s and 90s rock, man, that Ida Tiger, that Journey, that, you know, like (laughs) something about those songs that they have. They just make you get out, right? They just make you get out and want to run a damn marathon, man. So I got to have that on the play. If I'm doing any type of cardio or running, man, that's what I'm, you know, I got to feel like I'm about to go fight Rocky, man.
0: I love it, man. Well, I'll look forward to the Chris Green uh, Get Swole Spotify playlist or Apple playlist, and I'll be downloading (laughs) it right away. Uh, Chris, it's always a pleasure, man.
1: Absolutely, man. I appreciate your time, brother. Take care of yourself. Be safe. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon.
0: Likewise, be safe down there in Orlando, and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Peace, brother. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, You can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It, Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us. To schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment you have everything to gain until next time be better be creative be engaged and thank you for listening